word and for the opportunity to hear your word, to be transformed by your word. It's the word that when it goes in, it changes us. And it changes us from death into life. It changes us from from, uh, selfishness into wholeness, Father. It transforms us totally as new creatures. We grow from one glory, from one level of faith to the other because of your word. So I thank you, Father, that your word goes out in faith and it's received in faith. And we grow from that. And we thank you for this growing session in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're still uh, finishing up on the fact that love is not unfair. And we're going to talk about love that transforms. How God's love is a transforming power. And I think once you get sold on the idea that love is the most powerful force in the universe, you'll focus on walking in love as your primary, your, that's your primary focus really as believers. I, I think sometimes we put emphasis on different things that uh, God has blessed us with, the benefits and blessings of a covenant, but you got to qualify for that. And I think sometimes we skip over the qualification. We just, it's just easy to teach the blessing side of the covenant, you know, because that's all you ever hear. It's how to be blessed, what God's going to do for you, and it's coming, and, you know, all the prophecies are prophecies of good things to come. And that's true, uh, you know, in a vision sense. You know, we know good things are coming, but we know that there are other things to consider too. And I think the church really um, sometimes is lax on teaching just foundational doctrine, foundational principles. Uh, because if, if, if we weren't, we would have more of what we say we're believing God for. I mean, it's, it's taking people an awful long time. To prosper, don't you think? I mean, it, it really is. And it shouldn't be that way. If we're walking hand in hand with God, the Bible says blessings come upon us and overtake us. So if that's not happening, uh, there's something wrong somewhere. There's some obedience problem, or there's a doctrine problem, there's a faith problem, but I think sometimes there's a truth problem <laughs> among God's people. We just don't accept the whole truth of God's word and understand that we're still called to serve. This is a servant's uh, ministry. This is a servant's um, uh, uh you know, lifestyle, Christianity is a life of serving. Uh, if you don't believe that, why did Jesus, what was he doing all those years? Knocking around, you know, helping people and walking miles and miles for days. Sharing love with people, giving them hope and encouragement, all that kind of stuff. What, what was he doing all that time? If he wasn't setting an example that if if you are like me, if you have my spirit in you, which we do have as believers, this is what my spirit is is calling out to you to do. This is what my spirit is leading you to do, is to demonstrate my love to humanity in this way. And so, uh, you know, a lot of what Jesus did, if he didn't have love to motivate him to get up and do the things, the power never would have showed up at any of the meetings. And I think <clears throat> oftentimes... Full gospel people or Pentecostal people, whatever you want to call us, don't emphasize. We emphasize, 
gifts, power, and, and that side of God's spirit without talking about the fact that you've got to have a vessel to put that in. You've got to have a fit vessel to carry all that stuff. And I'm telling you, if you don't love God and love humanity, you're not going to get up and go two steps to go help somebody. I don't care if it is your meeting and you're in charge and you, your name's on a billboard. The love of God, if that's not the overriding and, and dominant force in your being, uh, you won't, you'll short out on the service, folks. You'll short out on, the, I don't care if there is power, I don't care if there are gifts, I don't care if you're the only person in the world that has this kind of ministry or whatever, whatever. If the love of God is not there, and it's not there and you're not cultivating that side of your being, uh, you're going to short out as a vessel real quick. You're going to quit real fast because there, there's nothing you can do without love. And it's not unfair for God to require us to love people. It's not unfair for him to require us to love him. It's not unfair. You're not being treated unfairly because you are being required to love even though you don't have everything you ask God for. Uh-huh. You still got to do it, no matter what. You know, that's that's very important for us to keep in balance. So anyway, <clears throat> the seed of God's love came into our hearts and changed us from death to life. We were dead people without the seed of God's love. We start out in love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the first aspect of God's character that you experienced was his love. It wasn't his provision. It wasn't his gifts. It wasn't tongues. It wasn't anything like that. But it was his love. His love pardoned you. Now if you've received pardon, you should do what? You should pardon others. See, that's how the love of God, it it works really kind of automatically like that. And if we will let God's love work automatically, like freely flow through us the way it's supposed to, then we have no, no, no problems. You don't have any problems with your life. You don't have any problems with, with God. And if you think about it, a lot of the warfare that we undergo and a lot of trouble we have is aimed at one thing and that is to stop the flow of God's love in our lives. When you have problems and worries is to keep you from from stepping out, to keep you worried about you so that you don't step out and do anything for you. So it kind of bottles the love of God up if you stay concerned about you. Huh? Now many times people come into service and, and they'll be concerned about something. You know, praise God, most of you know how to focus on the word and get out of yourselves. Remember that old song, forget about yourself, concentrate on him and worship him. That was a good song for beginning Christians because most of us went to meetings desperate to tell somebody about our problems so we could go up and get prayer. You know, and that's how we lived. Then we realize that we've done this so much, maybe we need to focus on something. You get bored worrying about yourself all the time. And so if you realize these, the, you know, the problems didn't go away with that one prayer. You had to walk with God a bit and see him work that thing through 
So you realize I might as well relax here a little bit and, and you know, believe God's going to take care of these things. But in the meantime, what's he got me here for? You're here to learn. You're here to understand him so that you can do something for him. He's done so much for you. He wants you to stay focused on him so that you can be equipped to do something for him. In our daydreaming, there's worry. In our minds, there's constantly churning up uh, thoughts of of, uh, what ifs and this is a concern for me and what am I going to do about this and what am I, you're not going to do anything about it. You're going to serve God every day and believe him for the things that you need and the results that you need. That's all you need to focus on. And so many times we get distracted by uh, our little world and being concerned with our little world and what's going to happen here, what's going to happen there. You can't be concerned about that and walk in love. That will bottle up the flow of love faster than anything. And you'll not understand why things aren't happening for you. I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And why isn't this getting any better? Uh, it's because your focus is wrong. Love causes you to focus on God and humanity and not yourself. Let me tell you what love does. If you are moving in the love of God, you walk in a constant assurance that everything you need is taken care of. You have no cares and no worries. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't have any kind of lack, any kind of want, any kind of need. I'm not bankrupt. So when you're trusting in God and you're walking in love, that's that's the heart of the, the sheep. That's the heart of the follower of Christ. That there's no lack, there's no want. You're not broke. You're not impoverished. You have everything you need. Whether you have everything you need physically or not, you have that. You walk in a knowledge of that. You walk in a confidence and an assurance that way. So that you don't have to be distracted by things that will draw you off from living in the love of God and the confidence and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the, the, the life that's full of joy. See, a love, a person filled with God's love is filled with the fruit of the Spirit. There's no lack there. There's no concern. When the enemy comes up and brings an errant thought or brings a problem to your mind, what do you do? You stop. Most people stop and focus and dwell on that and get nervous and get anxious like they don't even know God. When God has ordained that you never let go of his hand, love will will cause you to, to... keep a hold of God's hand and continue to be led by him and not be distracted by what we consider to be problems and concerns. There are no concerns. There are no wants if he's your shepherd. If he's leading you and guiding you where you go, there's no concern. Well, how do I know he's leading me and guiding me? You won't till you get there. You're following him by something called faith. Huh? And then nobody can be that goofed up. Huh? You know what you're doing. You know if you obey God every day. If you obey him, then you're walking with him. Huh? Some people more closely than others. But you know the little, the little stragglers eventually catch up. 
Huh? You let go of his hand and you want to sit there and, and lament and worry and be concerned. And then you decide, well, I can't do that. I might as well trust God. I've trusted him this far. And you get up and walk on with God. So when the seed of God's love comes into us, it transforms us so dramatically that we were headed toward death and now we're headed toward life. <clears throat> and we're pursuing life. And we have life inside of us. We have to keep in mind at all times what we possess. You've got to keep in mind at all times what you possess. You can't go to sleep on God and and think of yourself as a mere human being. We have eternity inside of us. And this is the thing that's most important to God. Is that the eternity that we have in us gets released. Our goal is to take many sons and daughters to the Lord. Because he wants to take as many people with him out of this sinful world as come into the world. So your eternal reward is tied up in this as well as the fate of the world. So everything that is important to God is tied up in us. We have eternity tied up in us. In the now, God is doing something. He is purifying the church, empowering believers, so that we can fulfill the Great Commission and bring many sons and daughters to him. In 1 John 5, let me think. Yeah, 5 verse 1. It says, Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone that loves him that begat loves also him that is begotten of him. So everybody who loves God who caused you to be born again also loves those who are begotten of him. Now, let me tell you a little a little secret to fulfilling this. If you love the brethren, if you love those who are begotten of God, it would make sense for you if you had the power to increase the number of people in the earth that are begotten of God. Because the more we can fill the earth with believers, the more people we do have to love, the bigger the the family of God gets. And the more we can please God with our begetting. (laughs) So our love then begets people who are like us. So you have the power to reproduce for God. If you don't like the the people, the co-workers at your job because they persecute you, start praying for them to be converted. See them as, as people that you can love rather than people who are at odds with you all the time. Uh, you got to see things that way. 
You, you gotta, you just gotta change the way you look at things. We're not little persecuted people running around here in a world that's totally adverse to us. We have the power to overcome and go into any darkness, bring light, and shed that light on other people. Make sure they partake of and receive of that light. So the love of God has the power to reproduce and bring life to areas that have ceased being fruitful even. There are people that, that are, are kept alive sometimes. You know the prayers that we pray. We see those names on there over and over again. You know, And sometimes the names are, you know, oh boy, I wonder how this person is doing. That person's probably being kept alive by you just mention them at the throne of God as often as you do. You don't see everything. You're not supposed to see everything. This is a faith walk. We walk by faith and not by sight. But as you call out those names by faith... God hears that, and many of those people are kept alive much longer than they would be without the prayer. You gotta understand that. You gotta understand that you have the power. There is a love that can beget something. It can bring life where there was death. It can bring hope where there was hopelessness. It can bring encouragement where a person was discouraged. It can cause a person to, to, that thought they wanted to die. To make it another day and, and then gradually get the hope that they can recover and that they can live. The love of God does that, folks. If you don't care about people, you're not going to pray for them. Hmm? Now just get it straight, okay? If you don't care about people, you're not going to pray for them. I don't care if, if I take everybody and tie y'all down and force you to open your mouth and pray those prayers <laughs> you know there's only so much forcing you can do people and so when people really love and when they really care they will serve and one way to serve is through intercession any ministry that you do for God is a way of serving mm-hmm. so well, one way to serve is through intercession so just make sure that you you keep your your heart right about what you do for God. Don't ever let it get to be a drag or boring or a, some kind of routine and start pulling the love out of it and start pulling the en- encouragement out of it and and all of that kind of stuff. Don't bankrupt your service of the fruit of God. You know, you got to have the fruit of God and stuff or it's not the effectual and fervent prayer of the righteous avail much. You know, dry, begrudging prayer and, uh, you know, prayer you feel overwhelmed because so-and-so's not here. And there are going to be a lot of people that go missing. You know, I've been saved over 30 years now. I was just looking at some uh, some notes I'd written uh, years ago. Shannon found some of my old notebooks. I was wanting to find some of my notes for some things I was going to write. And I was looking. I had a list of um you know, churches and ministers, and I looked, and I, I don't know if any of them are still preaching. This was 10, 15 years ago. I know I'm still here. So, you know what? And and, and you're going you're gonna to find that. You're going to find that. You can't judge people, and you can't stop and watch them. And you can't let them what they do affect you. If you're the last person in Detroit preaching, you just have to, or, or praying, you just have to be the last person in Detroit praying, folks. But you've got to stay faithful to what you know is the right thing to do in God. 
people do what they do. It doesn't have to have any kind of effect on you as long as you know what you're supposed to be doing. But I'm telling you, don't do it half-heartedly. And don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it out of necessity. And, you know, have some enthusiasm about what God has you doing. Don't don't just drag in and barely get here and, you know, you say everybody's got to wait on you with their prayers and all that. You're dragging and causing everybody to be late and slow. You know, get in here and get in here with some joy and enthusiasm so we don't have to pray you into the prayer. Come on now. You're supposed to be the intercessor. But see, the love of God, if, if, you, if we can stop our nonsense and stop our carnality of our thinking and start to think, have the mind of Christ and have an understanding of what you have inside of you that is valuable to God and how to release it. You'll be miles ahead of where you are now. You'll be miles ahead. And I think we don't value what we carry enough and we don't value it in the sense that we want to release it and make sure it's distributed the right way. We just don't. And so you have to refresh yourself in these things. You have to periodically remind yourself. Take yourself aside and shake yourself and understand that you know when you sign up to work for God, it's an obligation to do something, not just sit a pew. You know, it's uh, one of the biggest challenges that Rick Warren, who's a very successful minister, uh, one of his biggest challenges is to, now that he's got all those people in that church, to get them up and get them doing something for God. Most of them don't. Huh? Most of them don't. And so he's, you know, every now and then he'll preach and threaten them. Well, if you're going to sit around, this is not the place for you. And they still don't leave. They just come and sit. Most of them. Purpose-driven life. Everybody read that. But who's doing it? See, it was just a fad thing to read for a while. But who actually got on their knees and said, God, use me. (laughs) Show me my purpose. Show me what I'm here for. Put me to work for you. I don't care what I do. People just don't do it. They still have a big salary where they've got enough people. That church could be run totally by volunteer help and forget the paychecks. But they're not going to get anybody to volunteer. Huh? It's true. Places where where they have you know big budgets and lots of money, they pay everybody. They don't have volunteers anymore. Nobody volunteers anymore. Everybody wants to get paid. And so this and this takes away the Christianity element out of the church. The church is run like a business now, most of them. And if they don't get enough tithers and big givers to, to keep a, a staff, a budget for a staff, the church can't run. It just can't run. And so you have to understand, folks, that God has put in us the ability... To do everything needed for him because of the love of God that's in us and we let it flow and let it flow right. We've got to let it run through us and and flow right. So we can bring life to areas that have ceased to be fruitful with the love of God. Just like plant lovers can see life in a dying plant, we as lovers of humanity should be able to see life and potential in all humanity. 
crooks, murderers, drug addicts, your children, (laughs) your spouse, (laughs) everybody. We ought to be able to see potential in that and be able to know how to nurture it to life. We got to know how to nurture that to life. So we can see how to do that with with other living things. God can show us how to do that with humanity, with human beings. We know how to tend things, give them special care. Love gives birth to newness of life. Love sets an example that people cannot resist. When the apostles preached, they said when they heard their words, they were not able to resist nor gainsay. And that means to refute or to argue with. The love of God does that, folks. His love coming out of of your words when they're spoken in love by the Spirit of God will do that. Make God irresistible to people. God will show up and not you. I think that's the problem. We think too much about ourselves when we set about doing things for God. If you can die to who you are, just just forget about you. And try to zero in on what, <clears throat> what that person needs. Not your program, not what you think you got going for you, spiritually speaking. But forget about you and humble yourself so that you can think about what that person needs. Everybody needs something different. You can't be like a, a, a Christian robot giving everybody the same song and dance. Like you got a memorized speech. Mm-hmm. You ever, some telemarketer call you and they're reading off the script and you tell them something and they go right back to the script like they never heard you? Don't be like that. God knows how to personalize that message so it reaches everybody. He knows how to do that so it reaches everybody. So God is able to tend through us to tend people that need to know him. Just like you would tend a plant that's dying. You know, you trim off the the dying leaves. You touch the soil, see if it needs water, if it needs special plant food. You put it out there where sunlight is. This is what we do with humanity, lost and dying humanity. We can tend them with that type of love, care, and attention. Not some kind of abrasive witnessing like Jehovah's Witnesses. But we can tend to people with that tender, caring love that is so necessary. In Luke 10, we see the story of the Samaritan. This man was beaten and an outcast. And you'll see <clears throat> who loved and who didn't love. I mean, this this story is very telling in that you can can see how love is either demonstrated or it's withheld. In Luke ten twenty five, he says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now this guy wasn't even asking a sincere question. 
But you know Jesus really doesn't care. A question is a question to him. So whether it's sincere or not, he knows how to answer people who are just trying to make fun of him or test him to see what he's going to say. And he said to him, what is written in your law? How do you read it? And he answering said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's a tall order. Loving God with your mind will pretty much do you in. Uh Because most of the time we're not thinking about trying to love God with our minds. Oh, what does that mean? That means that your thoughts are supposed to be his thoughts. So we all ought to be convicted on that one. Well, how do I do that? Through renewing your mind the word. Getting out of carnal thinking. Repenting. Making it do it like it's your job. Which it is. Your biggest job will be fighting the old old temptation in your mind to think like you did before God met you. Huh? To think thoughts of love toward humanity. Oh, what does that mean? Thoughts of love. Uh, like you would think about yourself. You're not a bad person. You're not a wicked person. You don't think those things about why think them about other people. You're not no good. You're not a thief. You're not, you know, a, this kind of person that, why thinking about other people? That's what it means to love God with your mind. You think the same thoughts about God, about people, about yourself that God thinks. Your thinking lines up with his. So he says, and your neighbor is yourself. Well, if you do all of that stuff, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you will love your neighbor as yourself because there's nothing left of you anymore. You give God all of yourself, and then you're equipped to love your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you've answered right, this do, and you shall live. But he, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So this guy knew he didn't love anybody. He wants to get out, who, who, who's my neighbor? Jesus said, a certain man went down to Jer- Jerusalem from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance they came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed, he walked around the guy on the other side of the street like he wasn't even laying there, you know. And he says, likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by the other side. So these are minister, worship leader, huh? all the high people in the church that are supposed to be loving people. Those are the people you expect to be helpers. They're in the business of These are the servants, the called out servants of God. But a certain Samaritan, these are the people that the Levite and the priest look down their nose on. They call them people dogs. As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, had, that's the one thing that differentiates you from the unbeliever, from the Christian that God approves of, 
is that one little word right there. Compassion is the love of God packaged up inside of you that can be released anytime you see a person in need. If you can stiffen up and walk past them, you've bottled up the compassion of God. Because it was available to everybody that walked by. If the Samaritan showed it, certainly the Levite and the priest. Because they were they were servants of God anyway. And their ministry depended upon compassion. Huh? But they showed none. It was available to them. But instead of them being moved with that compassion and helping that guy, they stiffened up and walked past him. And he says, when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took two pence and gave it to the host and said, Take care of him and whatsoever he spends more when I come again, I'll repay you. The whole bill. Not just what what do I have time to do in this little bit of time I have and see if I can squeeze it in. See, this is what's going to separate the doers from the donors. The fact that you would have to stay with something as long as God tells you to is going to automatically disqualify a certain number of people. The fact that you've got to stop and be inconvenienced. Or you've got to stop and come out of your pocket. Or you've got to stop and it's going to cost you something. The prospect that it might cost you something is going to disqualify a certain number of people. Why? Because we're always counting the cost for everything. Well, I I can't go over there and and pray for so-and-so because I I got a lot to do with my day. And I got, you know, the kids will be home at X number hour and then my husband will be home and then this will be home and that will be home and this will be coming up and that will be coming up. and. See, I dare say if we didn't do some of these things just as a group, we'd never do them. And I know that to be true because their church is full of people that never do anything for anybody. Uh-huh. So they don't even do what you do. And then we got people that will come and do it for a while and you don't see them anymore. Because they think they've got more important things to do than to learn about the things of God and then go out and do them. Hmm? They think they've got more important things to do. I know for a fact it's not more important, but you can't convince people that it isn't. And sometimes the more you try to convince them, they'll argue with and get more adamant. So you got to leave them alone after a while or the whole thing gets stupid. Mm-hmm. They wind up in worse sin, try to pull you over in there too, just because you're trying to you know, lead them the right way. So this is a, a story about people who don't want their normal routine interrupted to obey God. They don't want their routine interrupted long enough to obey God. Or for people who think they do enough for God. The priest and the Levite. 
catch me on when I'm I'm off duty now. I'm on my way somewhere. I don't have time to serve. I served that I'm clocked out. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Sure. And so all I'm telling you is that it's easy to pass up opportunities to witness, to serve, to share, to be used by God. What we think of as witnessing and sharing probably is not. When we think of witnessing and sharing, we think about being a knowledgeable person and everybody has to shut up and listen to us. And I can tell you I've never had successful ministry with that attitude. It's just not what it's about. It's not about that. It's about listening, humbling yourself, keeping yourself under the, under keeping your flesh under you. And let your spirit dominate and let the compassion of God reign and rule. Meet needs of people. You know, you're going to have to come out of your pocket sometimes and and gift people with things. Share what you have, what God's blessed you with. <clears throat> sometimes that's your best witness and your biggest open door. You know, sweetest day. You know, you ever think to get like a, a gift basket and give to somebody that's not a family member? You know, we twist your arms and buy things and give nice things. Sometimes in the workplace, if you go in there instead of having this hostile Christian attitude toward everybody and all this defense and <laughs> ready to bite somebody or being, want to be the one that, that tells everybody how to live, give them something. I mean, that's so easy. You don't have to say squat. All you got to do is say, you know what? I really thought about you today, and, and this, this isn't much, but God told me to do something sweet for you. I just want to show you that, you know, God loves you. I love you. What, you know what I'm saying? Be a Christian. That is so easy. That opened more doors for you. Then all you're practicing witnessing in the mirror and reading a few scriptures and trying to figure out how that's going to look and should you say this and should you say that. That'll help a whole lot more. You know, buy a card with a scripture on it and share that with somebody sometime. Sheesh. You know, everything's set for you to be successful. You just don't know how to use the tools. You just don't know how to use the tools. You use everything you got. I mean everything. Well, anyway. So love sets us apart. It's the love and the compassion that sets us apart. at the end of this parable God told that man he said you know what go and do and see that you do the same thing the Samaritan did that's what you need to do huh little Mr. Smarty Pants huh a little lawyer somebody who knows the law 
That's the problem. You know the law. You don't know God. Know the words, but you don't know the person that wrote the words. You could know the person that wrote the words and be very successful at your life. (laughs) So our love sets us apart from the rest of the world. That's the thing. It's going to set us apart. Our love is holy. The word for the love of God, agape, did not exist before the time of Christ. You don't see that anywhere in Greek literature or Greek dictionaries until Christ was born during his time. So he gave love a whole new meaning. And he expects us to do the same thing. So we are to be as he is in the world. There are certain servants of God throughout the centuries who have given love a whole new meaning. St. Valentine, we know the legend about him. In our own, own day, Mother Teresa gave love a whole new meaning. You mention her name and it's nothing but good. You, you never, ever hear any kind of reproachfulness, anything. And she didn't roll in the gifts of the Spirit. She didn't have a big healing ministry. She didn't have any of the stuff that Pentecostal and Spirit-filled people think is so important. So what do you think in God's eyes is more important? He wants us to do it all. But you can't do anything of it without love. Love will sustain your reputation in the earth. If that's what you do with your life, it will sustain your reputation in the earth. This woman gave love a whole new meaning. Other ministries can have power, gifts. But don't uh but they don't come close to the love and service as she did. God is big, but everything big is not of God. You gotta understand that. But everything that's of love is. Love is of God. Any place you see evidence of the love and compassion of God, that's where God is. Holy love has extraordinary power. Healing gifts will alleviate suffering, but love changes people. People can get healed without changing. In Luke 17, you see the story of the ten lepers. Seventeen start in eleven came to pass as he went into Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. It's where they were supposed to be. That's where their disease had placed them afar off from humanity. So you got to understand these are people who have been broken and rejected and Cast aside, didn't feel worthy. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. From afar they said that. 
And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. That's 10% of the people that get healed. So compassion and ministry and healing is what you would call more or less a thankless. So those of you who have tender little feelings and want to make sure somebody got healed and wonder if somebody's a, quit your wondering. Jesus only got 10%. He only got one out of 10 to come back and give God thanks. Well, many times people will take what God gives them and go off as though it didn't affect them one way or the other. Well, look at what you did the last time your prayer got answered. Chalked it up to the wonderfulness of your faith or whatever. Didn't didn't think twice about it. Like, you know, God does this all the time. Or he's supposed to do it. Or it's me. What? How could he resist? See, we can turn it on and off real quick. You can have compassion in the pulpit one minute and, you know, be in yourself the next. Oh, Robert's said you know there was someone he had preached all night and was tired and they were leading him out to his car and this man waited and came up to him very abruptly as he was going to his car and brother roberts i I was in your meeting and my name didn't get called but i just asked god and I, i just thought maybe i could just wait and see if you would pray for me and he was angry and he said be healed man was healed instantly and god said yeah i healed him but you're not gonna get any credit for it only one was transformed by the love of God see if you if you go up to healing line and you let God do everything he wants to do you not only get healed but you'll get impartation of the spirit of God and if you'll obey that spirit to the next thing that that spirit wants to do, then you will stop and give God thanks. You will stop and say, God, this is so this has made such a change in my life. I want to see other people healed. You will do something with the love of God if you let it work and follow up on it. Because the love of God's in there, in the gifts. The love is in there. Every touch of God has his love in it. He can't touch you without imparting love to you. Because God is love. He doesn't do anything outside of the realm of love. But if you don't let that work on you, and you don't let love have its way in you, then you will not do the proper thing. John G. Lake saw most of his family members die from disease. And he could have just gotten him own, his own self healed and gone away bitter and angry at God because everybody died. But what did he do? He accepted and received God's love inside of him and that worked a compassion in him and desire to see other people healed, folks. 
God's healed a lot of people that don't stop and give thanks. He's healed a lot of people that want to go back to their sinful lifestyle and do. And they are not changed because they stop the flow of love in their hearts when God touches them. They just stop it. They take what they want and run off with it. Just like nine out of the ten. He says, he fell down on his face, verse 16, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a what? Samaritan. Christians beware. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found any that returned to give God glory except this stranger. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has done what? Made you whole. See, what Jesus said, you don't lack anything now. You're not only cleansed and healed from your leprosy, but God has transformed you and imparted something to you that you got working in you now. That's what wholeness is. A lot of people get healed. That's all they want. They want the pain to stop, the suffering to stop, whatever it is to stop. And they get it to stop, and that's as far as they ever want to go with it. But God wants to make us whole. His aim is to not only alleviate our suffering, but change us so that we can follow him into a better life. Huh? And we can't see it though. We we can't see it when we're suffering and all that and feeling sorry for ourselves. And when is this ever going to stop? And blah, blah 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 blah. We don't see that we really need wholeness. We need a major change, not just to get one thing fixed. So only one was transformed and stopped to give God thanks. God's aim is to recreate in us the image of His Son Jesus. That's that's the aim in everything. I mean, he heals because he's the healer and he has compassion on humanity. But he's not satisfied with just alleviating your suffering. He wants to put you in covenant with him so you don't have to suffer anymore. So you can be an overcomer. He has much better for us plan than what we even can know or think. So when we love and forgive and extend mercy and act graciously and repent and do acts of kindness, these things set us apart from the masses and from the multitudes. It's those things, not the fact that God healed us and we got something from God or we got a blessing. That doesn't set us apart. It's when we do the works of God, when we act like Jesus does down here in the world. The leper who give thanks received wholeness. The love of God came with his healing, but he let that love take hold of him and change him into a giver of thanks and a worshiper of God. Love has to change you into a giver of thanks and a worshiper of God. Worship is an expression of love. So all that leper was doing was letting the love of God work in him. He embraced it, accepted accepted it, and let the love of God lead him to the next thing that God wanted him to do. And that was to worship him. God doesn't want us to stop short of any of this. He wants us to receive all of it. Now, withholding the love of God. 
The love of God is freely given to us. We saw it with the leper. What stops the flow of love? What stops the flow of God's love in us? Well, the Bible talks about the seed being sown in different kinds of soil. Cares of this life, deceitfulness of riches, concerns about other things enter in, choke the seed off or choke off the love of God. You have to be careful to commit everything to the Lord. You have to be careful to be a person who has made up their mind. They're not going to take on worries, cares, sins, doubts, fears, unforgiveness, grudge holding, all of that stuff. You're not going to take that on. If you refuse to take on any of that, then the love of God can freely flow through you. Offense-mindedness is one thing that will stop the flow of love. Fearful about what to expect from people. Immaturity and selfishness. Some people think they hurt others by withholding what does it hurt you to send a a, a card to a, a separated spouse or a divorced spouse? Send him a birthday card huh I've always given him a card for his birthday. I think I'll continue doing that. Well, the devil's going to fight you on it. You know, I mean, you're just giving. You're not expecting anything in return, right? We're talking about giving, not expecting anything. There's a problem there. Because true givers don't expect anything from anybody. Hmm? Don't expect anything from anybody. Now, let me tell you how you get over your, your goofiness in your thinking. You commit your ways to the Lord and let him take care of your needs. Now, if you were taking care of yourself, you'd have to be concerned. You'd have to make sure you were investing your your yourself in the right people where you can get something back if you were taking care of yourself. But God's taking care of you. So he will make sure that whatever you need is taken care of. You know, sometimes we'll think people in our lives are hindering what we want to do. Oh, I could do what I wanted to do if it wasn't for so and so and such and such. Huh? Single people, sometimes they just get, you know, goofy in their thinking. I'm glad I'm not married. I would have to do so and so. Why is that so important? You know, why is it so important you do what you want to do? You ain't doing nothing. Huh? Goofing off. You ain't doing as much as you think you're doing. Huh? Just a thought. Hmm. Married people want to be single all the time. <laughs> oh boy, back in the day when I could. Yeah, 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 yeah. You married now, so shut up. Yeah. Start letting it. <laughs> it's good for you. It breaks your pride. You know, you you need to be able to do everything you want to do when you want to do it. When is that something to be sought after? (laughs) Self-consciousness. 
How will this look? Keeps you from witnessing. How's this going to look to some? Suppose they say no. Well, suppose they say no. You need to get some no answers sometimes. Keeps you depending on God. Wondering how it will be received. Will people misunderstand and accept or will they reject? 